Donald Trump did a town hall on Fox News last night, and it was with Laura Ingram. I want to walk through some of these moments, starting with some truly disgusting ones where Trump betrays and emphasizes his belief that he is the ultimate victim in every story in the entire world is about that fact, is about how he's being treated so poorly and any accountability that he's experiencing is really just him being targeted and the victim of a witch hunt. And in this case, it comes in the form of a question about Alexei Navalny in Russia. If you're not familiar, Alexei Navalny was the Russian opposition leader. He opposed Vladimir Putin and was a prominent figure for doing so. And he died in a Russian prison. It's, of course, assumed that very likely Putin had something to do with that. And so in response to a question about the death of Alexei Navalny, Donald Trump says it's happening here, referring to himself. People around the world are expressing outrage over the death of Alexei Navalny, of course, in a horrific Russian prison. Um, you posted on Truth Social about it. You said that his death made you more aware of the political circumstances here at home. It's happening here. Specifically arrivals. I, I want to give you the chance. Okay. And then if he wasn't clear enough there, when talking about his civil fraud fine, he said, it's Navalny. President, the crowd's going crazy here. But during this campaign, a huge amount of your time has been spent in court, in the courtroom in New York and, and so forth. Now, in this New York civil fraud case, this Judge Arthur Engeron ruled against you for almost a half a billion dollars plus interest that r runs every day. When I first read this, like $87,000 a day. How will you put up that kind of money because you have a bond to put up? Even if, if you appeal, you got to put up escrow money. That's uh, it's a lot it of dough. It is a, lot a of form of Navalny. It is a form of uh, communism or fascism. Uh, the guy's a nut job. I've known that. It's a form of Navalny. Aside from all of Trump's other character flaws, how do you see that level of narcissism? Just a vile level of narcissism. And say, yeah, that's who I want to be my president. Someone who clearly can't see an inch past his own face. Someone who sees a potential political assassination or the death of an opposition leader and a revered figure in a foreign country in a disgusting prison and thinks that's like what's happening to me for being fined for engaging in business fraud. That's like what's happening to me because there are laws and I broke them. It's pretty stunning. I know we're used to Trump's behavior and his low character, but even if for no other reason but to not come off so insane, he couldn't even he couldn't even fake it. It's blows my mind. Moving forward, here's him saying what he would do on day one as president. They're emptying out their prisons into What's the country? first thing you will do if you become president again on the border? I know well, that's going to be your first th There's act. two things I'm going to do. Number one is drill, baby, drill. And the other thing, equal, equal. 
I'm assuming he went on to address the border, but that's where that clip ends because she asks about the border and he says, drill, baby, drill. But of course, he's just saying what he would do day one. Now, interesting he would say that given that oil production is currently breaking records. We're currently drilling, baby, drilling more than we ever have in the history of the United States. So it's strange people think that's of number one priority that needs to happen when again we're currently breaking u.s oil production records then here's trump admitting he actually and this is interesting he'll he's willing to avoid spreading lies about the 2020 election on fox news because he knows they will either cut it out or they will have problems with it or we'll have to fact check such claims. If I were losing in the polls, they wouldn't even be talking about me and I wouldn't have had any legal fees. If you had retired from politics, would all these If I were out, I think, although they hate me so much, I think if I got out, they'd still, let's pursue this guy. We can't stand this guy. Look, I won an election that wasn't supposed to be winnable. I then did much better the second time. I won't get into it, but I did because of Fox. But I won, I did, if I- because of Fox, he won't get into it, which shows us the Dominion case did something because they used to be great with broadcasting those lies. Now Trump knows they're against it enough, even with him, that he should probably just avoid spreading lies about the election. So, no, we didn't get the justice that would be the most satisfying for all the lies spread about the election yet. I think that would come in the form of Trump being held legally accountable, but that's working its way through the courts. But at least this civil case and the settlement Fox News had to agree to with Dominion did end up changing their behavior enough to where Trump won't even bring up that subject on their airwaves. Very interesting. Then here's him getting asked how he'll pay the fraud decision. Question, which I thought about a lot last night because it's yeah. such a huge amount of money. You have to decide whether you're going to put up that bond and escrow to, to appeal. Are I you do. going to do that? And I'll, where are you I'll tell get you what money? we're going to do. Number one, well, I have a lot of cash, but that doesn't mean he can take it. I mean, you know what he did? I think he looked at my cash and he said, well, we'll take all of his cash. This is all coming out of the White House. This is all everything that you see, whether it's that one or the D.A. You know, in the D.A.'s office, this? in Bragg's office, he has his top people. I love that. You think Biden is coordinating this? Sir, you're breaking news. You believe that Joe Biden's coordinating everything after you've spread that conspiracy theory for months and months and months and months. Fascinating. Yes, Trump is spreading the lie that Biden is coordinating all of these cases. I say again, how you believe that Joe Biden, the guy who, according to them, can't think and doesn't know where he is, is masterfully coordinating one of the greatest conspiracies in the history of the world to take down his political opponent and holding him or i shouldn't say holding him accountable targeting him on the basis of actions many of which we saw play out in public in terms of his attempts to block the peaceful transfer of power but that's just a scheme to fabricate stuff against trump and then take him down in the court and he's doing it on the state level uh, local level and a federal level masterfully and he doesn't know where he is <laughs> that joe biden something else hey he also claimed to be an expert on law 
It's all oh, coming in on you now. If I from didn't criminal to civil if I didn't to the run, money. Oh, I got everything. I become an expert at law. If I didn't run, <laughs> I wouldn't have any of these lawsuits. You know that. None of them. So an expert at law who just keeps losing in court. <laughs> Quite the expert on law indeed. Then here's him on his classified documents case. I need to just hand him over when they were requested, though. I mean, they requested him. You could have just handed him over. It probably I was saved yourself a lot of trouble. First of all, I didn't have to hand him over. But second of all, I would have done that. And apparently you did have to hand them over. And by the way, the 15 boxes of documents, as I've pointed out in the past, that he did hand over voluntarily after being requested multiple times, that they didn't have to come and get through the execution of a search warrant, he wasn't charged for. Just like how Biden turned over documents and wasn't charged for that, Trump wasn't charged for the first 15 box of documents. Then he said, that's it. And they said, no, it's not. And then kept requesting. And then allegedly he started directing lawyers to lie to authorities and move boxes around to keep them out of the hands of authorities and obstructing the investigation and potentially destroying evidence. And so the handing over of them voluntarily could have saved him all of these issues, just like how Joe Biden saved him any legal problems because he handed them over voluntarily. Here's something that Trump says about Tim Scott that is so Trumpian. I have to say, I don't, this is in a very positive way, Tim Scott, he has been much better for me than he was for himself. I watched his campaign <laughs> and he doesn't like talking. About yeah. Tim Scott was much better, or he's been much better for me than he is for himself. That is how Trump thinks of, I think, everybody. You're better for me than you are for you, okay? And then here's him speaking to his potential shortlist for VP. View that. The audience has uh, been asked who they think would be a good choice, and various names came up. Um, uh, one of them was, of course, Vivek Ramaswamy. No. He's made a big splash. Ron DeSantis, who's made in, making an appearance today in South Carolina, we just found out. Um, obviously, Tim Scott, Byron Donalds, and a, a big uh, presence here for Tulsi Gabbard. Um, very interesting. Um, are, and Christy Nome as well, I should say. Right. Are, are, are they all on your short list? Yeah, and when can you view that? He says they are. So some truly stunning options there. Vivek Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis. How on earth could it be Ron DeSantis? I don't know. Byron Donalds, Christy No, Tulsi Gabbard. I don't think it's going to be Vivek or Ron or Byron or Tulsi. I think it could be Tim Scott or Christy No. Why would you pick Tulsi Gabbard? I don't know. That would be wild. And then finally, Laura Ingram, very quickly and in a way that I don't think the crowd barely even noticed, debunks something that Trump says and Trump barely even notices. How are you going to make sure that mail-in ballots and voter fraud, which we heard from a lot of people in line, was an issue front and center? They're very concerned about mail-in voting. So... Forget the past. What are you going to do to make sure we don't have problems going forward? If you have mail-in voting, you automatically have fraud. If you have okay, well, there's mail-in voting in Florida, that's and right. you won huge. That's right. If you have it, you're going to have fraud. He says that's right. That's right. As she's saying something that at least, if nothing else, proves a contradiction in his belief system. Now, regardless of pointing out those sorts of contradictions and trying to 
catch hypocrisy on this. Most importantly, mail-in voting just doesn't have a problem with fraud. And the evidence doesn't reveal some notable issue with fraud when it comes to mail-in voting. So that's the most important thing. So he's lying on that. But it is interesting that Ingram points out, again, within the applause of a crowd, says it really quietly and then it doesn't repeat it, that there's mail-in voting in Florida and you won huge. And so the places where mail-in voting absolutely benefits Trump in certain places because a lot of older folks in Florida, for example, may vote by mail because it's more convenient and vote for Trump. He's not going to have a problem with it. He votes by mail and he doesn't have a problem with it. But his belief that this is hurting him in other places then leads him to spread conspiracy theories about it. But really, it doesn't have to hurt him. It's increasingly disproportionately Democrats voting for or voting through mail-in voting, I should say, because of Trump's conspiracy theories. So Republicans stop voting through mail-in ballots because Trump is saying it's horrible and you got to vote same day at the voting site in person. But you're just needlessly restricting your voters' ability to conveniently vote. So I guess, sure, keep saying it. Only vote on election day, then if there's some problem they have in their life or it's a rainy day and they don't want to go, it's going to make them less likely to vote. Or you could say just vote within the confines of the law as conveniently as you can, and then you're good to go. Seems like a good political strategy and uh, in line with democratic principles. Try to let people vote as easily as they can while keeping the process secure, which is what we're doing. The story of Republicans' favorite informant, the informant that started it all in terms of the Biden political hit job, just got so much better and even more bonkers. Now, before I play a few things for you, I'll show you Jim Jordan being confronted about this all falling apart, and I'll, of course, explain the new element of this story. I first want to reemphasize that I am going to make sure in whatever part I can play in this, that this story doesn't just disappear into the political abyss. I want to make sure that we keep discussing the fact that the person who started this entire Joe Biden's corrupt narrative, the person who initiated all these allegations about Joe Biden being bribed and trying to help his son's business ventures and the Republicans have been running with it this entire time and accusing Biden of everything they possibly could and calling him the most corrupt president in American history, that he's now been indicted for allegedly making it all up and feeding false information to the FBI as a confidential human source, which you can't do that. That's not allowed. And uh, we got to keep talking about it because it's the humiliation of the era and also, Republicans don't get to accuse Biden of things for years. Then it all falls apart and go, okay, let's move on. <laughs> Shut up. Let's, let's just go on to the next thing. Uh, now we're going to talk about Alejandro Mayorkas. I don't know. So with that being said, the second thing before jumping in is I want you to picture. Okay, picture an argument between a Republican and a Democrat. Two hypothetical people. And the Republican says, pre this news coming out, they say, oh my goodness, Joe Biden's corrupt. And the Democrat says, well, why do you believe that? And the Republican says, there's this FD 1023 form and it documents the allegations from this highly credible, confidential human source against Joe Biden. 
saying that he was receiving money and trying to help Hunter buy his business ventures through his official policy as vice president. And that's really damning. And the Democrat says, well, no evidence has actually been brought forward to substantiate that. So it's still just an allegation. And I have this feeling that this could be coming from Russian intelligence. This could have connections to Russian intelligence. And what would the Republicans say? Russia, Russia, Russia. <laughs> it's Russiagate all over again. Oh, everything bad, it comes from Russia. Putin, Putin, Putin. Right? Oh, that would be so, the libiest thing you could possibly say. What a stereotypical liberal. You think this informant has connections to Russian intelligence. <laughs> well, you know where this is going. And let's get into it. I will let the wonderful Jin Psaki break this down. And just, just remember, this is the guy. Alexander Smirnov, the guy that was so uh, concerning and, and stunning in his credibility, but then concerning in what he was bringing forward to Republicans. And that's why they had such good reason to go on national television and lie about Joe Biden over and over and over and over and over again. This is the guy. He's now been indicted, again, for feeding false information to the FBI. And we're learning about who he's connected to. A new filing just a few hours ago released from federal prosecutors added a pretty shocking yet somewhat kind of predictable twist to all of this. I don't know if you're ready for this. Russian spies again. According to the government in this document, Swirnov, quote, claims to have contacts with multiple foreign intelligence agencies and had plans to leave the United States two days after he was arrested last week for a months long multi-country foreign trip. During this trip, the defendant claims to be, to be meeting with foreign intelligence contacts. Prosecutors go on to describe one of these supposed foreign intelligence contacts, a mysterious figure described as Russian official one. And wait for this. Quote, it says, Smirnov has reported numerous contacts with Russian official one, who has been described by Smirnov in a number of ways, including as the son of a former high-ranking Russian government official, someone who purportedly controls two groups of individuals taxed with, tasked with carrying out assassination efforts in a third-party country, pause for that for a moment, a Russian representative to another country, and as someone with ties to a particular Russian intelligence service. I, I mean, the most archetypical sort of straw man version of a liberal response from Republicans perspective, the most ridiculous you could think of would be, oh, all made up and throw in Russian spies. Just drop that in. <laughs> Probably connected to it somehow. Yeah, all made up and Russian spies. And then this is what we're getting. Truly, truly something else. Here's Rolling Stone reporting on it. A former FBI informant charged with fabricating accusations of corruption against President Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden told law enforcement that he has been in contact with high-level Russian intelligence officials who were involved in passing along a story about Hunter Biden. You also have this from the filing itself during his custodial interview. On February 14th, Smirnov admitted that officials associated with Russian intelligence were involved in passing a story about business person one. So Russian intelligence could be the original source of all of this. I mean, do you have no shame, Republicans? And the answer is no. 
I won't play this whole thing for you. The audio is just terrible. But Jim Jordan gets confronted on this, and his response is essentially, nah, it's all still good. We still believe it all. It's all reasonable. In a bribery scheme, now that Alexander Smirnov has proven to have made it up, and it was based off Russian intelligence. Doesn't change the four fundamental facts. Hunter Biden. It does, though, because you've got a lot of these facts from this guy. Was on the put on the board of Burisma, gets paid a million dollars a year. Fact number two. A million dollars a year? That is not even close to true, sir. Let's see if Manu Raju had a chance to interject here. All the normal things we've heard from Jim Jordan so many times. You said that 1023 is the most corroborating piece of information it you have. It corroborates, but it doesn't, it doesn't change those fundamental facts. So now... But it's not true. Well, so... Okay, so it's, it's the... I love that. I, I'm by love it, I mean hate it. But I love that they're able to run around and say, as Manu Raju pointed out, you just told me a few weeks ago that this is the most corroborated strong piece of evidence you have and this is the origin or the orange as trump would say of the investigation and now you go nah, nah, doesn't change anything that we now baselessly allege based on this no no but manu so much has come from our investigation like we found out that Joe Biden had a loan repaid from his brother. His brother repaid a loan that Joe Biden gave to him. And get this. Oh, no, this is about to get suspicious. Joe Biden helped his son buy a truck and then got paid back like four grand for the amount that he helped his son. Very suspicious while he wasn't president or vice president or senator. Just a guy. But that was proof of corruption, maybe. Manu, do you have anything to say to that, Manu? <laughs> and this really is ending as crazy as you could just barely even imagine. And uh, Republicans have no shame about it. They care more about hurting Joe Biden politically than accuracy, obviously. That, <laughs> I almost said train sailed. That ship sailed. Or train left the station a long, long time ago on accuracy facts. But they also have a stronger motivation to hurt Joe Biden politically than, I guess, loyalty to the United States. They'd rather be working knowingly or unknowingly in coordination with Russia to hurt Biden than not go on this political hit job expedition. And I have more to say on that after watching a little bit of a uh, little bit more analysis on this from MSNBC. But the 1023 is an interesting part of this because it speaks to the congressional component. If you remember, there was a big fight in Congress about whether or not a 1023 from a confidential human source about the Bidens should be released from the FBI. That happens in, in the spring of last year. This is ongoing. And then at some point it's released. Then he speaks with the FBI again on multiple occasions. And as you said, there's further discussions about, well, this is what the Bidens were up to. There was even information about what Hunter Biden was up to at a hotel in Ukraine. Problem with that, prosecutors say Hunter Biden's never been there. So it raises questions as to whether or not the Russians took a look at the fact that information they're feeding this guy can go direct to Congress. And they're smart enough to realize, hey, you know what? We don't even need to try to push this through the FBI. We could just tell this guy whatever 
information is wow. going to go in a report, and then it might just find its way to Congress. And there's no legal vetting here. There's no, there's, there's nothing here cow. that says whether or not what this guy's. Do you understand how insane that point is? Russia, if indeed this plays out the way that it's looking like it played out, if they they realize that, wait, we don't have to actually fabricate allegations that are strong enough to stand up to FBI scrutiny and actually get Biden in legal trouble. We don't even have to worry about that to hurt him. We can, through Alexander Smirnov, feed information so there's some report through this confidential human source to the FBI, some report there that's semi-official, this 1023, and then Republicans, they'll just pretend like it's fact. And they'll do the rest for us. And they'll take that to heights we couldn't have possibly imagined. And they'll do an impeachment inquiry and investigate out the wazoo and accuse Biden of whatever they'd like. I mean, we've heard people attached to these allegations. Yeah, so he's bribed and he's the most corrupt president in American history. And he's also done human trafficking and drug trafficking. <laughs> people have just said all these things. Republicans, I should say, elected officials, Marjorie. And Russia realized there's a really quick path to hurting Biden politically. And it's through Smirnov to Republicans in Congress. Potentially, that's what they realized. That is crazy. And... Then I will say again, this is, if we're ever going to use the phrase, a, a political witch hunt. This is a political witch hunt. This is a political hit job. And it's yet another example of the projection from Republicans. What do they say about Trump? Oh, he's the victim of a witch hunt. Oh, he's being targeted politically. Oh, he's having a hit job done on him. And... They're saying this while doing that to Joe Biden. And I've waited, as my longtime viewers know, this is the first era <laughs> that I've started using that phrase with Biden because I, I hate that it's the same phrase they use about Trump. But now is the time to call out that projection and the ridiculousness of running around falsely saying Trump is being subjected to a witch hunt and unfair persecution while doing those things to Joe Biden. And I want to say again on this subject, while they're doing that, just think about this. Oh my gosh, this could bring a whole lot of rage into my heart. Think about the fact that Republicans have spent how many resources, how much effort, how much time, how many tax dollars on this investigation into Joe Biden? How many interviews did they do? And instead of talking about the needs of the American people, they were talking about this. How much time could they have spent on other actual problems that they spent on this to hurt Biden politically? And that was their priority. Juxtapose that with Biden's priority. He, for the most part, the best that he could, ignored the theater over there, ignored the political stunts, and just tried to do some governing. Can you imagine a president trying to govern and racked up a list of legislative and other achievements that 
makes him a pretty historic president in his efficacy. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about on one side, all the time, effort and resources being spent just to hinder the governance and the politics of the other side. And the other side, spending the majority of their time actually trying to get some things done actually trying to lower your prescription drug costs, actually trying to address the, the fact that 10 million Americans don't have clean and reliable drinking water, actually doing the thing that Trump said he was going to do, infrastructure. Infrastructure week, infrastructure week, infrastructure got done under democratic governance. That was the focus, not uh, political hit jobs. That's pretty stunning and pretty telling about the current moment we're in in American politics. And what does that whittle down to? Is that because there's just something that when you call yourself Republican, you start caring more about unimportant things? No. It's that for some reason, this is probably a longer conversation. Right now, the Democratic base of voters judges its leaders, for the most part, on things that actually sort of impact their lives. They actually want to see, are you trying to fight for my reproductive freedoms? Are you actually trying to keep my kids safe in schools? Are you actually trying to lower my health care costs, etc.? The Republican base of voters has been hoodwinked. And this is a lot easier for the Republican politicians. You can run around and accuse Biden of everything until the cows come home or whatever the phrase is. And that's a lot easier than doing the hard work of governing. And so... Now, the Republican base of voters doesn't demand that from their elected leaders. So they'll keep reelecting leaders who do this, who obstruct and then attack, and that's it. And that is what needs to change. So my message, I guess, is to Republican voters, stop allowing them uh, to trick you into thinking they're fighting for you just because they're fighting us, right? Fighting the other side. Make sure they're fighting for you by actually fighting for your well-being and actually getting things implemented that will help your life. And that's where I'll leave this. In the wake of Donald Trump being found liable for $355 million in the big fraud case, one of the questions has been how on earth is he going to pay that? Does he even have the amount of cash he'd need to pay that figure? And Letitia James, of course, the New York Attorney General and the individual who brought this case against Donald Trump has an idea as to how she'll make him pay. I want to bring in legal expert Aaron Parnas. What is that idea? Yeah, Luke, uh, she essentially said in a newly released interview that if Donald Trump doesn't pay up in cash, she's going to go after his assets, including the buildings he owns, like the big Trump Tower in New York City. This is what is known as civil asset forfeiture, when an individual who faces a very large judgment cannot pay up on that judgment. The government or the plaintiff that has the judgment typically goes after the person's assets. So she's coming after Trump, whether uh, in cash or in property. And that is brutal. That's the, the heart of his identity and brand, and she's willing to go after it. How would that process play out? What's the timeline here for how long Trump will be able to decide how he can pay posting the bond and then when she could start executing some of these actions? 
Yeah, so this isn't going to be an overnight thing. I mean, Trump is expected to appeal the major judgment, in which case he will have to post the bond, which is the $355 million or so. Trump claims he has that cash, so we'll see if he's willing to actually pay up and post that bond. In the event he doesn't post a bond and he doesn't appeal, then they can go ahead and execute the judgment immediately. Uh, on They can garnish wages. They can go after his property like 40 Wall Street. But one key point here is that the Trump Tower in New York is worth a lot more than $355 million. I mean, this is a several billion dollar building. So you're not going to have, it's not going to turn into the Letitia James Tower, the New York Attorney General <laughs> Tower overnight. What you're going to see happen is if they go after his property, they will force a sale of the property. And uh, the New York Attorney General's office would collect, or the, the state of New York would collect the outstanding judgment. At that point, it'll be over probably 500 million with interest, and then Donald Trump would likely get the rest, or the Trump organization would get the rest. That's kind of how the process would look, but we are probably, if I had to guess, several years away from that occurring. Gosh, I wish they could have done a special requirement in this ruling where it's the Letitia James Tower um, after the conclusion of the case. So on the subject of this case and it being appealed, I have our favorite lawyer, a clip of her, um, Aaron, Alina Abba on, or Haba, somebody said, please pronounce the H, Haba, um, on Newsmax, giving a pretty powerful bit of analysis as to what the grounds of appeal are for this fraud case. Take a look. What are your grounds on appeal here? What are my grounds on appeal is a better question. Uh, where do you begin? I mean, we could start with all the things we talked about, Rob, over the past six months on these cases, in this case in particular. Mm. What aren't the grounds on appeal, Aaron? <laughs> there aren't many, if any, <laughs> honestly. Um, it's pretty funny. So what a lot of people don't know and what a lot of Trump's attorneys fail to recognize when they make statements like this, especially Alina Haba on, online or on TV, is that when you appeal a case, the only issues on appeal are legal issues. They're not factual issues. She's not going to be able to go up on an appeal in New York and essentially relitigate uh, the specific loan amounts that Trump was offered, the misrepresentations he made, the specific facts of the case, the, the, the fraud. That's set in stone. The only issues on appeal now are specific legal issues when it comes to certain decisions made by Judge Ngoron, um, certain parts of the judgment, for example, certain evidentiary rulings. And there really weren't that many that uh, could be challenged here or that have are viable on appeal. I mean, Judge Ngoron really tried a pretty standard and pretty litigious case. He didn't really go out of his way to harm Trump in the courtroom through his evidentiary uh, ruling. So there really isn't much for Alina Haba here. Yeah. And this misunderstanding, at least rhetorically, of what the point of this appeal would be reminds me a lot of them going into the E. Jean Carroll defamation trial and trying to argue whether or not Trump sexually abused E. Jean Carroll when that was already litigated in the previous trial. And so that kind of was them constantly stepping on a rake because it wasn't going to move the ball down the field in that case because it wasn't even a matter of deciding the facts of whether or not he did what he was accused of again because that was already litigated in a previous case and this one was about defamation. So a lot of misunderstandings or overt rhetorical miscommunications, I guess, going on there with Alina Ha, but one more clip from her. Here's this from Fox News. 
No, I mean, I would never get into anything privileged, but I can tell you what the rules are. And within 30 days, even if we choose to appeal this, which we will, we have to post the bond, which is the full amount and some. Um, and uh, we will be prepared to do that. So, is, but how much is the bond? Well, it so it's you have to break it up. So there were obviously individual defendants that got fined. There was the company that got fined. But you're looking at roughly, let's call it close to four hundred million dollars for something that he did nothing wrong. Look. It's no coincidence, and I'll say it, they know by looking at his statements of financial condition that this guy is worth a lot of money, billions and billions of billions of dollars. And that didn't even include his brand, Martha. But what they're trying to do between this case, between my last case, is put him out of business. It's not going to work, number one. Number two, what they're doing is a scare tactic. Unfortunately, they picked the wrong guy to pick on, in my opinion, because he's strong, he's resilient, and he happens to have a lot of cash. Now, so it is an interesting, a lot of nonsense she said there, but uh, it did bring to my mind, what damage could this really do? She mentioned him going out of business without being the goal here. What's the threat to his business, livelihood, the finances of this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very interesting. I think ultimately at the end of the day, this may force Donald Trump into filing some type of bankruptcy proceeding at some point, because right now Trump and his team are using this judgment and these cases as kind of political tools, not necessarily uh, talking about the impact that it will have on Trump personally. But if Trump, even in, in a unlikely scenario where Trump is somehow back in the White House in January of next year, the judgment just doesn't go away. You can't pardon yourself in civil cases. You can't extinguish a civil judgment from uh, be, just because you're president of the United States. So even when he's even if he's in the White House in a few years for the next four years, they're still going to be able to go after him. And there is no reason why a lower court, why Judge Angoran would simply stay those garnishment proceedings uh, to take the property to satisfy the judgment, because it really has nothing to do with a potential presidency. So right now, while it may help him in the short term politically, in the long term, this isn't going away for Trump. And one other thing that people have to remember is that judgments like these gain interest uh, and gain interest on what, what the standard interest rate out that that is out there. I mean, that's anywhere from four to seven percent right now. And on a judgment of three hundred fifty five million dollars, four to seven percent. I mean, we already know that the judgment actually is now above four hundred million with interest. And within a year, it'll be above five hundred million and, and it'll just continue compounding. And by the time he gets out of office, if he were to be elected in November, um, he's going to have a potentially billion dollar judgment against him. And at that point, he'll have no choice but to file for bankruptcy and sell Trump Tower and all these other assets to satisfy creditors. So th this is terrible for Trump, whether or not he is actually intending on remaining in the business, in the real estate business in New York in the short term. It, it, it's awful for him in the long term. Wow. Brutal, but a delight to observe on this end. Aaron, where can people find you? On all my social media platforms at Aaron Parnas.